This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Namihi nui and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. As local residents grapple with the aftermath of the destructive magnitude 7.8 Kaikoura earthquake, geologists are combing the ground in a scientific post-mortem. They're gathering clues to understand what happened when seven faults ruptured almost instantaneously and everything points the finger at the Kekaringu fault as being the kingpin. RNZ's Nelson reporter Tracy Neal joins GNR scientists on the fault line as they search for clues. Base camp for the scientists is a Blenheim motel where a team of cleaners is busy tidying up. Field coordinator Zoe Juniper works from a tabletop surrounded by notes stuck on walls and a small mountain of supplies. She's just finished a postgraduate diploma in emergency management and says it's her first big test. We start about 6am, um, certainly with a very strong pot of coffee. Um, and then they're, they're getting breakfast, making up lunches, um, getting ready, organised, getting themselves into cars. And it's complete chaos until about half past eight when they're, they're all left then out into the field. And then getting ready for them all to come back in the evening and, and having meals ready for them to, to have before bedtime about half ten, eleven. <laughs> Today I'm joining GNS senior scientist Russ Van Dissen, a North Californian who came to New Zealand as a Fulbright scholar in the late 1980s to work on active faulting. As we drive south out of Blenheim, past damaged wineries and creased hillsides, he points out signs of previous large quakes. And then we catch the first glimpse of a whole new coastline created by the November quake. More than 60 kilometres of coastline from Cape Campbell to south of Kaikoura have been shoved up, exposing new rock platforms. We're on the Marlborough coast, north of Kekaringu, and the total landscape has changed. We're looking out at the rocks and we're seeing a two-tiered wedding cake. The, 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 the smaller, rounder bit is where the sea used to be. And then now you see this wider, larger expanse of rock that's just been uplifted. It's like you've taken the cake and shoved it up one layer. The coastline here rides on the back of the Needles Fault, the offshore extension of the Kekerengu Fault. It was one of seven that ruptured to create the magnitude 7.8 quake. Russ has been immersed in the Kaikoura landscape for the past three decades. I've been coming down this coast for 30 years, spending time on the, my, my wife's auntie's farm in Kaikoura, and the coast just looks different. You, you have a mental image of what it's looked like for decades, and there's just so much more rock out that you see in the ocean. So setting aside your stance as a scientist, how remarkable is it to see a new seascape? 
it, it, it's, it, it is, it's stunning. You just can't get over the fact that you, you think it's always going to look the way it used to look, that um, you take note of it, your mental images, and you're, you, you know it's going to change, but you never really think it's just going to change overnight. And, and it's not just because a sand dune moved or not, not something temporal. It's not just the lupins in bloom or anything like that. It's the fact that you've got a huge amount of rock that's now out of the ocean. He says the scale of change in the coastline is not the only breathtaking thing about the quake. Also breathtaking is that it happened in a flash. These fault ruptures happen at huge speeds, faster than a speeding bullet. You know, it would be Superman-type speed. The coast would be up. You probably would have been knocked on the ground, and then when you would have looked up, you would have seen a new landscape. Talking to the farmers and the landowners around here, people down by Papa Bay, and they said for hours they were just hearing the water drain away from the shore platform, the sound of the sea draining away from all this rock that had been uplifted. We carry on beyond the road cordon at Ward, where contractors with clipboards can only let official vehicles through. Unstable land and the huge amount of roadworks underway to repair State Highway 1 make the State Highway impassable. We drive through a large dip in the road. But we're about to cross the Kekaringu Fault. So the Kekaringu Fault is a major strike-slip fault, sideways slipping fault in coastal Marlboro. We actually think it's the third fastest on-land fault in New Zealand. It's a real big player as far as the tectonics go of, in New Zealand. Not hugely slower than the Alpine Fault. It's, it's, they, they would be on the same team. The Kekarengu Fault ruptured for 36 kilometres on land and almost as far again out to sea. We meet up with the rest of the field team, including GNS earthquake geologist Nicola Litchfield. She explains what we're looking at. Okay, so the road here we can see has got a number of steps in it that, that step down and down and down, but the other thing to see is if you follow one of the lines, either the side or the middle lines, you can see it's stepped over several times, and that's um, where the Kikarengu fault um, ruptured the road. So where does this fault um, lie in the system that, that ruptured? Is this one of the major ones? It is, yeah. yeah this, is, this is one of the ones that had the most movement, if not, I think it is the, the biggest movement, and then yeah, went offshore onto, onto another fault, the, the Needles Fault. What is particularly fascinating about this? This earthquake is so fascinating because so many faults ruptured. A bit further on, Russ points out another stunning marker of a turning point in our ancient geological history. This one, a 66-million-year-old disaster that happened on a global scale. Flitside Creek is a world-famous location for what we call the Cretaceous Tertiary Boundary. And why that's significant is that's when the dinosaurs went extinct. Now, it's not like we see dead dinosaurs at that boundary. It was underwater. But what, what's phenomenal about that exposure is it was continuous sedimentation through that cataclysmic event. So we, the, the, my colleagues have taken samples and they can, they can plot the change in that bit of sea from when things were good to snap when things were bad. Back to our modern day disaster and we're faced with dramatic scenes across the farmland of Winterhome Station. 
The owners have allowed the scientists access to carry out emergency studies and it's here we get the true sense of the quake's power. Along the rupture itself, it's as if a giant mole has raced underground and over hills at the speed of sound, tossing up great sods of earth. Russ describes the effect on the nearby hills as we drive along a farm track. There's just, it, it just looks like the big claws of some prehistoric monster went through that hillside. And that's the fault rupture. That's actually, you know, the, the earthquake initiated 10, 20 kilometers at depth. The rupture has been big enough to break all the way up to the ground surface. This latest earthquake confirms some ideas that Russ and others were already developing based on recent field work that they've been carrying out at this very spot. Why we chose to study here is it's an old pond site and we, we were hoping to intersect peat layers that we can date with radiocarbon dating so when we cut a slice through the fault line, clean the walls down and make a real detailed map of the, of the we call it the stratigraphy, the different layers that we see in the ground. And in this trench, there were faulted peats, unfaulted peats, deposits that we could date, that when we pieced the story together and I actually got the results back, we identified three big ruptures in the last 1,200 years. And now we've just had the fourth you know, we, we call it a recurrence interval. It's an average time between earthquakes, and it's about 400 years here. There's only a few faults in New Zealand that have a, what we would call a recurrence interval that's this short. 400 years sounds like a long time to, to, to humans, but as far as the uh, fault lines go, this is one of the most active faults in New Zealand. But the, the real cool thing here is we put the trench in 100% of the rupture, went through where we thought it was going to be. Where it has been in the past, 100%. We pick our way carefully across deep cracks in the ground. So have you ever seen anything like this? I think I'm aware of one other sort of trench study that's been ruptured subsequent. But this is certainly, I think, the first time it's happened in New Zealand. And it's pretty, I don't know, geeky, but it's kind of neat <laughs> for the work we do. How would this have looked when it happened instant again? One eyewitness account of watching fault rupture, and it just raced across the landscape. I mean, zoom. It, it, it's not a slow thing. It, 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 it's going at sheer weight... So that's you know, faster than the speed of sound. Yep. And and does it create a sonic boom? It does create audible things. So this is a hitherto very straight fence. Adrian Benson is a geophysics technician at Victoria University. He's been helping to survey topographic information around the trench site and came back for a look. He says the difference is startling. It's easy to uh, you know, measure these things and look at the old records of such things, but you know, to see it actually, this is what it looks like in reality, and people were a bit surprised by how much movement there is. So, so the frogs are happier? They're happier than when I was here, which was January. So I think, I think it was just a bit hot for them. It was hot for me. Well, maybe they knew something was coming. Who knows? Who, 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 can, who can know a frog's mind? Further on, a chasm three metres deep and almost as wide reveals the truth around the scale of movement. Standing at the bottom of one, Russ and GNS earthquake geologist Jamie Howarth take more samples and log its position on the GPS. Minus 41. Decimal 9, 7. 9, 7. 4. 
or Russ says the size of the fissures on the stretch of the fault are unusual. It's not often you see a fault that ruptures by 10 metres. You know, if this had ruptured by three, you're three metres, for instance, you'll get fissures, but they'll be that much smaller. Fissures in the ground are common. The size of these are uncommon because this displacement is way bigger than common. Jamie explains the nature of the signposts within these cracks in the earth, which tell them about past quakes. One of the ways that we can actually determine the timing of past earthquakes is by identifying um, carbon, so that might be plant material, or in this case we've actually got charcoal, so carbonised wood, uh, in this paleo or old fissure fill. And um, by measuring the concentration of the isotope of carbon, which is uh, a radioisotope, and we can use that information to actually figure out how old this piece of charcoal is, and then by association, stratigraphic association, potentially when this fissure filled, and that would give us an idea of when the last earthquake was. He says it's helping him with his research into his particular field of expertise, the Alpine Fault. The boundary between the Pacific and Australian plates runs almost the entire length of the South Island. It has a habit of rupturing about every 300 years. The last time was 1717, but the quake we've just had has thrown some of their theories. This particular rupture has let the cat out of the bag in some respects because it's ruptured a series of faults uh, that we wouldn't have thought were going to rupture together. And that has significant implications for how we actually go about modelling seismic hazard in, in this country. Um, and that's something that we're going to have to grapple with in the, the months to years ahead. He says the risk of an earthquake greater than magnitude 8 on the Alpine Fault has not been changed by the recent quake. The chance it might rupture in the next 50 years remains at a 30 to 50% probability. And in terms of New Zealand's other major subduction threat, the science is still too young to really know, Jamie says. The Hikarangi subduction zone is probably New Zealand's largest source of seismic or earthquake hazard. Um, and unfortunately it's one of the ones that we know least about. Thankfully, though, MB um, have just funded a large um, Endeavour Fund research program that's going to um, take place over the next five years. The foci of that um, uh, program is actually trying to understand uh, the seismic hazard of the um, subduction zone. So hopefully in five years' time we have a much better understanding of the recurrence of earthquakes on that fault. The scientists say the best way to deal with this is accept it's possible and be prepared. Thanks to Tracy Neal, RNZ's Nelson reporter, who produced that story. And Tracy was out and about with Russ Van Dissen, Nicola Litchfield and Jamie Howarth from GNS Science, as well as Zoe Juniper and Adrian Benson. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World podcast. Check out our webpage for photos and web features. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Kia ora mai. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.